0: Learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at afsp.org/talkawaythedark. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. We made it to Friday. That means it's time for our weekly news recap where we break down the week's top local and state stories that you might have missed. Stories like these.
1: Madigan who did not speak during the hearing entered a plea of not guilty.
2: And now to Riverdale. Well teachers are fed up. Nine long months of negotiations they've gotten nowhere so this morning They're on the picket line.
1: Thomas Cullerton will have to repay almost $275,000 in pay and benefits he took from the Teamsters Union. The Chicago Public Schools announced a plan to go mask
0: optional. Pedro Martinez saying they are not going to institute this option until Monday so they have time to train their teachers on what to expect. So much to dive into, and I can't do it alone. So here to help is A.D. Quigg, government and politics reporter at Crane Chicago Business, and Nader Issa, who covers education for the Chicago Sun-Times. Nader, let's start with you. Starting Monday, masks will be optional at Chicago public schools, and that's been met with mixed emotions. So, Nader, how are kids and teachers and parents reacting to the news?
2: It's sort of been a whirlwind past a few months obviously we'll remember in january the chicago teachers union negotiated with chicago public schools for a safety agreement and that was uh, in the midst of the omicron wave and ever since then i mean there's been all of these debates and there's been ongoing court challenge around masks in schools and that finally came to a head this week ceo martinez chicago public Schools ceo pedro martinez said they're getting rid of the mask mandate starting monday and there's been, like you said, mixed reactions. A lot of parents are worried. They don't feel that they're ready. They're, they're sort of still anxious about uh, their kids catching COVID in schools, bringing it home. There are also some people who feel like it's time to be given the option to not have their kids masked at schools. The weird turn of events was that a couple weeks ago, CPS and the Board of Education reaffirmed their commitment to the mask mandate, And only when it became clear that a court challenge was going to threaten their ability to to keep mandates in the future, did they sort of change course and and this week decide to drop it.
0: Union President Stacey Davis-Gates tweeted that uh, the district was, quote, capitulating to Tom DeVore. That's the uh, attorney who filed the lawsuit against the district's mask mandate. It was scheduled for a hearing yesterday. Does she have a point there, A.D.?
1: In a sense, she has, she's, obviously, we know that the union and the district have disagreed multiple times over how to handle COVID. The city said this was a combination of decisions, that they had received feedback from parents, that they were in support, that COVID rates were going down, We're averaging 138 daily cases. And like she mentioned, to basically avoid the outcome of a lawsuit from Thomas DeBoer, who is running for Attorney General in Illinois, that, they based, that the district basically argued could tie their hands down the line from instituting a mask mandate in case of a later surge. DeVore has been such an interesting political figure throughout all of this. He was so unsuccessful in so many previous cases on COVID mitigations, but he's struck a lot recently on mask mandates at schools in particular, and the governor lifted the statewide mask mandate amid his challenge as well so i think i think the district thinks they're in a better position if they can avoid this lawsuit entirely are not bound by it and can reinstitute a mask mandate in case of a further surge which some people are worried about could come in the next three or four months as has been the trend
0: and nader just as the unions started fighting the city's decision to go mask optional union president jesse sharkey announces he's got covid how's he doing
2: he said he's got a mild case. He was running a low-grade fever, was at home resting. He, he said he was hiding in the attic because his family was still testing negative. And so it seems like he's got a pretty mild case, and hopefully just with anyone else, uh, he can get better soon.
0: How has District CEO Pedro Martinez reacted to the union's complaints?
2: He was at the Economic Club of Chicago a couple of days ago, speaking to a lunch crowd there. He basically said he's not, he's not too worried about another dust-up, another labor action by the CTU. They've obviously filed an unfair labor practice charge against the district, saying that CPS broke its January safety agreement, which they did. The, the agreement clearly lays out that uh, the masks are mandatory at CPS for students and staff through August. And so that's going to play out before the uh, Illinois Educational Labor Relations Board. But in the meantime, uh, CEO Martinez doesn't necessarily think there's going to be another one of these disputes that cancels classes or has a teacher walkout or anything like that.
0: AD, teachers unions and two other districts are on strike this week. What's going on at the schools in West Suburban Forest Park and South Suburban Riverdale?
1: Yes, so we have two relatively small districts, both out on strike. One, uh, Proviso, so it's 280 teachers at three schools. Um, this has attracted national attention from AFT President Randy Weingarten, who came to town. Representative Chuy Garcia, Commissioner Brandon Johnson joined strikes as well. Proviso, it's their first strike in two decades. It started last Friday. Teachers are demanding Better pay, which they say the district can afford thanks to a raft of federal relief, they're also calling for a cap on class sizes similar to what the CTU had demanded previously. Classes were canceled this Thursday and Friday as negotiations continued, but the district says the two sides are a million dollars apart on these issues. What we've heard political leaders say again and again is that federal relief dollars won't be here forever and that we can't create budget pressures for ourselves down the line if we can't pay for them. So the union has requested a 13% pay increase over a three year contract. The district countered with 9% over three years. Meanwhile, in Riverdale, a much smaller scale, 19 employees at a K through eighth grade single school district are also asking for raises um, 6% each year for the next three years. The district countered with 45 or 4% over a four-year contract, but very similar circumstances where both are saying, hey, we're in the middle of a teacher shortage nationally. Mm -hmm. COVID has been so devastating. We need these raises to attract and retain the teachers that you do have.
0: Nader, you also covered a controversy this week, this one over at Jones College Prep, the elite Chicago high school. What's going on?
2: Yeah, so there's been a bit of trouble, a bit of tension between the local school council there and the principal. He's, uh, his name is Joseph Powers. He's been the principal since 2008. And the school has, has uh, really risen. Its stature has risen. All sorts of metrics have improved in his time there. But there are a few local school council members who are alleging that he's committed uh, CPS policy violations, one of them being that he maintains a home in Missouri, These uh, LSC members are basically saying that's his primary home, which violates CPS's residency requirement or the the city's residency requirement for for city employees. They're also accusing him of creating an unwelcoming environment for students of color, for LGBTQ students, um, and a few other allegations along the way, not listening to uh, student concerns about teacher misconduct. There's a wide variety of complaints. And so that sort of came to a head uh, this week. The local school council voted to recommend dismissal charges against the principal. What happens next is uh, CEO Martinez has 45 days to either approve or reject the, the charges. And so if he were to approve them, principal powers would be charged with these policy violations. Dismissal proceedings would start and it would sort of go through that uh, administrative process. If he rejects them, Principal Powers would, would stay in charge of Jones. But Principal Powers has also said he's, he's thought about retiring because of all the tension that has caused all the drama at the school. And it's really overshadowed the school at sort of not a great time for, for students who are sort of trying to focus on school um, in the middle of a pandemic coming out of a big wave and, and with all the masks drama and all of that.
0: A lot going on at the same time. I get you. Let's turn out of politics, AD. Uh, Let's start with the latest on former House Speaker Mike Madigan. He entered a not guilty plea this week, but unlike other Illinois politicians who faced these charges, there was no media frenzy because it was all done remotely. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it was almost anticlimactic for how how long awaited this indictment was and what a bombshell the 106-page 22 charge a document that we got from the U.S. Attorney's Office last week it was all over the phone. It was like many telephonic or Zoom instances over the past couple of years, kind mm-hmm. of awkward. Mike McClain, his confidant and co-defendant, had trouble getting on the phone. And we actually never heard Madigan speak. He entered his not guilty plea via his attorney. And it was kind of in and out very quickly. There was no big crowd waiting outside Dirksen. Um, The only photos that we've seen of Madigan lately, we're so used to seeing this big scrum of reporters confronting folks walking into the courts. Mm -hmm. We didn't get that. We've seen photos of Madigan kind of in his car outside his home, and there's not been that kind of defining image of him facing the law for the first time.
0: You mentioned Michael McLean. Remind us what he's being charged with, A.D.
1: He's basically charged with being Madigan's go-to guy in this vast enterprise, basically being an intermediary and communicating what the Speaker wanted from political allies, from folks at Comet in particular, kind of being being a go-between and being part of this massive enterprise. He was, of course, a former state rep and a lobbyist, had a lot of relationships, and has vehemently Mm -hmm. denied any wrongdoing and basically said, I'm never going to flip on Madigan.
0: We've now learned that Madigan's son may be entangled in the indictment. What do we know?
1: Right. So since we've gotten the indictment last week, there's been a lot of reverse engineering to kind of figure out who the unnamed folks are contained within the indictment. And the Sun-Times reported this week that when Madigan promised to help former alderman Danny Solis get a state board appointment for him, in return, Madigan wanted his son, Andrew. To get business from the Resurrection Project, which is a Pilsen-based community organization that works in affordable housing, Madigan's son Andrew works for an insurance company. He solicited work from a bunch of suburban municipal governments. Neither Andrew Madigan nor the Resurrection Project are accused of any wrongdoing. The incident was just kind of evidence of a corrupt trade between Solis and Madigan. But this is, I think, one of many instances we're going to see of like. Reverse engineering, who actually was involved in these things, and also trying to figure out who is actually accused of wrongdoing and all of the different ways that Madigan might have tried to influence people and reward his friends.
0: Sticking with you for a little bit here, A.D., we're already seeing fallout from the Madigan indictment. Uh, Governor Pritzker announced that he's halting state funding for Madigan's Rebuild Illinois projects. Why would the governor freeze tens of millions in state funding?
1: So this was at uh, this was following a BGA story that basically pointed out a series of uh, capital projects in Rebuild Illinois, which is the state's big infrastructure program. So a group of lawmakers wrote to the governor asking him to freeze four of those projects that were sponsored by Madigan and review whether they were made appropriately or whether, like we just talked about, they might have been made as some part of corrupt deal. These projects included a noise abatement project to cut down on screeching train brakes. Some were school improvements. One was a control tower at the Lewis University Airport in Romeoville. These were all sponsored by Madigan, supported by his allies or lobbyists with ties to him. This has gotten blowback from members of the Latino Caucus in Springfield who said they supported those projects and that a freeze would hurt Southwest siders and other um, Southwest suburban communities, and that a lot of these projects are already well underway. They argued they were already properly vetted by state agencies. After that pushback, the folks who wrote the original letter to the governor backed off and said, you know what? We now see these went through certain state approvals. We agree with our colleagues from the Latino Caucus. Feel free to unfreeze that money, Governor Pritzker. I believe we're waiting for final word from the governor on whether those will continue. But I think we're going to keep seeing folks propose second looks at legislation tied closely to Madigan, um, I think folks are going to say, hey, wait a minute, let's take a look, let's make sure this was properly vetted, and make sure that there are no dirty fingerprints on any of this going forward. It's going to be a really complicated time for Springfield going forward.
0: As you mentioned, BGA, their AD, I want to clarify that uh, in a letter Monday to, to Pritzker, asking that state funding for these projects be reevaluated. Lawmakers did cite the investigation by Better Government Association, uh, published by Chicago Sun Times in January. So, kudos, of course, to our colleagues for their very important work. Definitely. AD, one more, well, no, maybe two more political scandals <laughs> to discuss this week. Former Democratic State Senator Tom Collerton pled uh, guilty to embezzlement charges. What are the details there?
1: So, former State Senator Cullerton. Who served for close to a decade in the General Assembly, a member of the esteemed Cullerton political family. This was not an indictment that was that seemed directly tied to this Madigan network enterprise. This case involved uh, allegations that Cullerton had a no-work contract with the Teamsters Union, where he earned close to $250,000 in salary, benefits, and medical claims. He pleaded guilty. He's going to have to pay back the Teamsters. He'll face sentencing in June. Um, he could get up to five years in prison, but is more likely to serve a year, a year and a half. But this is this is stunning because it's kind of the end of another political dynasty or another family dynasty going by the wayside. The Cullertons have been in some kind of position in power in Chicago since 1871. Ed Cullerton was sixth ward alderman. And of course, there was also the conviction of alderman Patrick Daly Thompson kind of ending the hold the Daly family had over the 11th ward for so many years, but interesting corruption case, not directly tied to Madigan, but big in the sense that it's another one of these powerful players kind of falling by the wayside because of something they did wrong.
0: Yeah. Well, let's turn away from political scandal, A.D. We were reminded that uh, primary elections are only a few months away as people lined up for the first day of candidate petition filing on Monday. What's the significance of that tradition?
1: Oh, it's like it's a field day. I love candidate filing. It's like one of the few times where you can kind of get every candidate you want to talk to in one place. Mm. Technically, this is candidates submitting petitions in order to make it on the ballot. Um, the thrust of folks lining up so early is that you get a chance to be entered into a lottery that can maybe place you first on the ballot. There is superstition and the tiniest bit of evidence that being named first on the ballot gives you a teeny tiny sliver of advantage in the June primary. This is uh, this year is a really important one for elections because we just went through redistricting, which means that we are in for new congressional lines. A Mm -hmm. lot of folks getting tossed out of their districts or they were mapped in together on purpose so that they would have to compete. Every seat in the General Assembly is up. Like I mentioned, congressional districts were in for a lot of shakeup between uh, retirements and the remap. It is going to be a dead-on sprint from now until June. The whole process was delayed by the census and also COVID. And now we have this Madigan wrinkle playing into all of it. Candidates are going to have until Monday at 5 to enter their petitions. We're still waiting on a few people. In the opposite way that folks get in line early on the first day of filing, they also want to be kind of last in line to potentially get last ballot placement, which some folks also Uh believe is second best to first.
0: Interesting. Well, let's switch gears. Uh, Nader, actor Jesse Smollett was back in the news. Uh, A judge sentenced him to five months prison time uh, and 30 months probation for reporting a phony hate crime. What did Judge James Lynn have to say at the sentencing?
2: Judge Lynn sort of laid into Jesse Smollett. He went on uh, he went on this thirty minute monologue after a few hours of arguments from from prosecutors and and Smollett's attorneys and then uh, some character witnesses, a lot of uh, Smollett's relatives and other Hollywood actors sort of vouching for his character. Judge Lynn called him a narcissist. he said he that this crime was premeditated and that that was an aggravating factor in his sentencing. Um, He said that Smollett has shown no remorse and that he, he has this sort of good side that focuses on social justice and and a lot of good causes. And then another darker side of him is what the judge said Mm -hmm. is sort of had him, had him carry out this, this crime that he said waste, wasted time and, And did more damage to his name than the judge's sentence ever ever would.
0: Right. It would be. It's. it's, He's humiliated himself basically. And and Smollett did not take that very well. Let's listen to a little bit of his outburst immediately after.
2: I am not suicidal. I am innocent, and I am not suicidal. If I did this, then it means that I stuck my fist in the fears of black Americans in this country for over 400 years and the fears of the LGBTQ community. Your Honor, I respect you and I respect the jury, but I did not do this.
0: Your thoughts there, Nader?
2: I, I think it's, it's sort of an emotional reaction after, after getting a jail sentence that a lot of people didn't see coming. And you sort of look at the reaction to the sentence. It's, it's sort of a case of two Chicagos or two Americas. And this whole case has been sort of a, a, a test of, of what people see in the criminal justice system and, and how it should work. At the end of the day, this was a nonviolent crime by a person with no criminal history. He didn't expect to receive jail time. A lot of legal ex- experts didn't expect him to receive jail time. Yeah. And um, State Attorney Kim Fox in an op-ed yesterday in the Sun-Times, also, I mean, she said that this was a a trial and conviction by a kangaroo court. She said that black women prosecutors across the country, including herself, have had their prosecutorial discretion disregarded in cases that are sort of followed by mob justice. And so... Yeah, I think I think it was an emotional reaction to an unexpected uh, sentence.
0: Just about a minute left here, A.D. You know, as Smollett was let out, he raised his fist in uh, sort of a black power salute. Someone hollered, stop locking up our black men. What do you think on whether the public thinks that justice was served here?
1: Uh, It's going to be mixed, like Nader said. This is kind of a, a dividing line between folks who who stood with the police, who thought they were wasting who, who essentially thought they were wasting their time on a on a hoax hate crime but like nader said kim fox's uh point that th- the focus should be on solving uh violent crimes and not getting distracted by a faux hate crime when in fact there are there's actual police brutality and a lot of discrimination against the lgbtq community should be a bigger focus is yeah. this is gonna this has been an, an odd saga that I think we're still going to be talking about even though the sentence came down.
0: That's A.D. Quigg of Crane Chicago Business. Also with us, Nader Issa of the Chicago Sun-Times. Thank you both for joining us and have a great weekend. That's all for today's Reset. For more conversations that go behind the headlines and bring you context to the local news of the day, subscribe to this podcast. We bring you a new episode every weekday afternoon. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. We'll meet again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.